All right, hey everybody. Uh, read the book of Lorgar. Uh, snort warp dust. Chainsaw your local chaplain and move to Catacan. This is uh, Little Wars. I'm here today with uh, everyone's favorite. Uh, I guess you could say White Scar, Alex McNabb. Bicycle White Scar. Yeah, bicycle marine. <laughs> Nobody's made that before. Not, not really my favorite chapter. I not mine of... either. Would you prefer Dark Angels? They got the they got the Raven. Interestingly enough, I've always been a Black Templar player. Yeah, that's uh, probably my third or fourth choice. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of tempted by the new Blood Angels stuff, though. Like, I've always sort of halfway contemplated getting into Blood Angels, but I don't know. I have High Fleet Behemoth Tyranid, so that would be, like, way more red to paint than I really want to sign up for. Uh, have you seen um, the new Sanguinius model for 30k? Because you were talking about that today. No, I have uh, not. You, you, go, you should just go ahead and look that up right now. It's amazing. I could show you this. I don't know how well that's yeah, going to look. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who can't see, uh, Car- Alex is showing us the uh, the Karn the Berserker model he's painted. And yeah, then, I yeah, spent... You posted I, pictures of that to Twitter. I did see that. It's very nice. Uh, yeah, this is the finished version. I've been painting this thing for like a couple months now, trying to hit all the details and get the blending right. Um, yeah, because like my thing is, I'm really, I guess, more into the painting side, even though I, I played tournaments and stuff like that too. So I, I have a lot of like, awards and stuff. I actually won a painting contest about two months ago, too. Hobby hero. Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm a very, very serious painter. Yeah, I, uh, I would call myself a casual at everything, because I'm not that good at painting. But, uh, beyond that point, actually, uh, do you have any good painting tips you'd like to share with the audience? I could go into how I do it, um, and I've been into 40K since I was 15, so I guess I've been doing it for over 20 years now. I've sort of developed my system over the years. Uh, I usually use a brush-on primer, and I start with essentially assembling the parts of the model that I can get to with a paintbrush. If I can't get to it with a paintbrush, I'll leave that part unassembled and do it separately. But most of the time I can get, you know, generally most of the model together maybe have like an arm or something that's not attached that I do separately so that's my first step is get it assembled okay, uh brush on primers a question uh for me do you keep the stuff on the sprue or off the sprue when you do that i do it off the sprue i could see some merit to leaving it on the sprue i guess it would just depend on the model i've thought about doing that because so, then you, I, you have to go back and touch up the cuts where you remove yeah, it yeah, but yeah. here's the here's the other the extension of that do you like blue tack these parts to something when you paint them or I suppose you're I, do you just not. Re- I usually just can get away with just holding it because, like, when I'm doing this, um, as I paint like the part that's separate, I'll do the critical area that can't be reached after it's been assembled, and I'll go ahead and glue it, and then finish it up on the model at that point. Um, and then, of course, I just hold the model by the base usually. But I use a brush-on primer because I've had issues over the years with like spray primers not being consistent, and then, of course, you have issues with humidity and temperature. So it's just not been a very, very good thing for me. But the brush-on primers, like the tester stuff, usually does pretty good. Like, as long as you've got the consistency right, it's it's really done well for me over the years. And then my next step is to go ahead and blackwash everything. I use uh, Watered Down Chaos Black and just get a good dark undercoat okay, and so get all the crevices. Use the GW paints. That's, that's yeah, I do use question. GW. I use GW P3. Yeah, I'm a Vallejo guy, actually. I've heard it's good stuff. Um, I like P3 a lot, too, the Privateer Press Paint, especially their metallics. Um, G, uh, GW has done some stuff with their newer, their uh, 
Their latest batch of metallics is better, though. It's got more pigment. It's pretty good stuff, more flake. If I, if I was honest, the metallics I've always liked have been the Tamiya ones that are soluble in, um, what's it called? Uh, they're soluble in isopropyl alcohol, but not, uh, not regular water. Yeah, that's that's the metallic that GW is trying to do now too. Everybody, I think, has latched onto this. Yeah, I always like the Tamiya imports though better. The yeah, the, the, that's nice. the best metallic. Yeah, the P three is pretty similar to uh, Vallejo, which is nice. Uh, yeah, I've always I've always liked. After I stopped uh, buying GW paints, I pretty much glommed onto Vallejo. After I figured out testers was a bad idea, and uh, never looked back. Uh, I remember Vallejo from my BattleTech days. People use that pretty extensively. It's actually an old brand. Yeah, they they go way back. Uh, the way I know them is uh, because the game I play right now, Flames of War, all their painting guides are in terms of Vallejo paints because Vallejo did all ex- does an extensive World War II line. It's a World War II game, so they actually okay. would they would actually put their uh, they had a deal where they would put their logo on Vallejo boxes. Then recently they decided to make their own paint, and that went horribly, so they're going back to Vallejo. Oh, it's good they're still around. I mean, I remember them from like 15, 20 years ago, yeah. that being very popular. Yeah, so anyway, with my technique, next thing I do, take my base. Um, let's say this this corn guy, I used uh, uh, one of the one of the corns uh, symbols from some old kit, added a few actual rocks, I think, to the base, and then I use a mixture of like uh, the coarse flocking material and then the finer stuff. So it creates kind of like a gravel, rock-strewn type thing. Go ahead and blackwash all of that stuff. And then I do about three or four different shades of dry brushing on it, starting with like a dark gray, medium gray, light gray, and then all the way up, you know. So just like a gentle dusting with like a, a light color. And that's pretty much all the dry brushing I'll ever do on any model is just the base. I dry brush terrain and bases, and that's it. And then everything else is just starting with base colors, blocking it out, leaving the black line, and gradually working my way up. I do use a, mag- a lighted magnifier now. I didn't used to use this, but a buddy of mine was cleaning out his mom's house and just gave it to me, and I've been utilizing it ever since. It really does make a difference if you're trying to get that small detail, do the fine highlighting. And then um, depending on what kind of models I'm working with, like I'm working with red stuff like my Tyranids or this Karn, um, I work up to the layers with the red paint, and then I use a, uh, a glaze to sort of meld it together so that the highlights are not so obvious. And my metallics, um, like we were just talking about, there's a pretty good range of metallics these days. It's not like the old days where you were really limited. Uh, P3 has some good dark stuff. GW has some pretty good dark metallics. So you can pretty much use a dark metallic maybe known oil or something like that, and then highlight it all the way up and have a pretty good-looking piece. Um, I like P3 has this gold. It's called Blighted Gold. That stuff is amazing. It's like a really, really good dark gold base. Use that on all kinds of stuff. But yeah, I mean, my technique is basically uh, pretty standard, I guess. It's very, very much about like precision highlighting. I started with Black Templar, so I have a lot of lot of models that are black with very careful edge highlights. But that's kind of like my thing is edge highlighting and then some freehanding. I could freehand Templar crosses and stuff like that all day long. Yeah, the the edge highlighting is is frequently actually called 40k painting for good reason. Uh, yeah, that, that's really what popularized the technique. And and for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, 
You can just go Google any of the models we're talking about, and you'll see something that's that's comparable in terms of the uh, the technique. And these are all standardized names for the most part, so people have blogs and things talking about them. So that that's uh, those are good resources as well. But yeah, the um, it's difficult to start off painting, and it do, honestly, your technique does sound pretty standard, apart from the prep work. I normally just spray prime things after they're assembled, but I do one piece, like one 100 scale vehicles. So. Yeah, I mean, I've got. Uh, this dude right here that this is a brood lord that I won a contest with recently and that has a lot of blending on it. I mean most of my stuff is like just basic edge highlighting because of the fact I use uh, Black Templar and Tau and stuff like that. But this it's not gonna show up in this image here, but lots and lots of blending to try to get that red to be real smooth and not have any visible striations from the highlighting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so here's another th- question I think is burning on everybody's line- minds. What all armies do you play and collect? All right, I'm just going to go ahead and give you the full history on this so because people get real confused. Um, yeah, yeah. I started when I was like 15, and it was the, the old 3rd edition box set, and that came with Dark Eldar and Black Templar. And that was like, I don't know, mid to late 90s, something like that. So my first, actually, I think the first 40K models I ever bought were actually Chaos, but first real army I started getting together was Black Templar. Uh, that's probably my biggest army, and I still have a, I think pretty much everything from that uh, original list now. Um, yeah, yeah, Black Templar is definitely my biggest in terms of just, like, numbers. Um that's the original. I got into Dark Eldar. I have Dark Eldar now, but it's not really something I mess around with a whole lot because the models are just so freaking fragile. Um, I have Hive Fleet Behemoth Tyranids, a pretty big list of those. I do have a good assortment of Chaos stuff. I painted up Karn recently because I'm anticipating that they're going to have maybe a new Corn Berserker box set this year at some point. So I maintain a, a fairly decent-sized corn collection. Um, I do have Tau, fairly good-sized Tau army. I got into those guys a few years ago. So I guess my big three is probably Tau, uh, High Fleet Behemoth Tyranids, and Black Templar. Definitely my biggest three armies, with the Templars being the largest. Yeah, I think that about sums it up. Yeah, yeah, I think that does. Uh, so yeah. So what would be your thir- what would be your favorite edition of 40k then in terms of rules, uh, things that came out? Or, or- I think I really like the new kill team, man. The new kill team is great. Um, I've played virtually all of them. Let me see, see here, third through eighth. Eighth, I think the meta is starting to kind of shake out now. Um, yeah, kill team, I think, is probably one of the better 40k games to come out. It's simpler. One? Uh, the, the, one uh, the one that's out right now. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that thing. It's uh, it's easy to get a, a fast game in. The rules are pretty intuitive. And, you know, you can throw together, like, some pretty varied, like, selections of models. Plus, I like the scale of it, you know. Like, I, I definitely like the scale. Yeah, it does have that advantage for being, like, a, what, a 2x2, two 4x4 two, four four kind of game that you can play very easily. Have you run into the Guard Plasma Spam kill team list yet? I've heard about it, and I've seen counters to it. I haven't really run into it. Um, my buddy plays a lot, lots and lots of Nurgle Marines and stuff like that. Lots uh, of Plague Marine type lists. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's... Uh, yeah, I, 
I'd say my inter- my favorite in terms of rules would be like the third edition because that was a good guard edition, and I was always a guard player, so I was always angling for that. But I think the game has gotten, I guess, I guess too big for me in my opinion. It it, it is improperly scaled. I didn't like like eighth edition. It, it, they simplified a lot of stuff. I like some of the changes. I didn't really care for the fact that they were like, oh, we're getting rid of universal special rules, but we're going to kind of have them anyway, but we'll make it confusing. I, I've never really cared for Games Workshop as far as like their game mechanics go. They've always left a lot to be desired, and this issue with like releasing codexes is just not good for game balance because you end up with like this flavor of the month syndrome. Um yeah, in, in terms of game rules, I actually think Battletech and, uh, oh crap, um, War Machine. War Machine and Hordes have better rule sets. Yeah, so you played uh, Battletech back in the day, and you, pl- oh, you yeah. still play War Machine, or uh, you've, you've fallen out of that? I've still got that stuff, and I'm not opposed to getting back into it. I was really impressed with the game mechanics. I, I think the thing I ran into was the hobby shops I was going to, it wasn't super popular. Um, yeah, yeah, because when I was in North Carolina, I had one buddy that was really into it, and play, I would play with him and his friends a little bit, but the actual shops, it was all 40k all the time, yeah, so I never th- pursued it too far. That, there is that problem I've run into, is it's very difficult to get a non-40k game these days. Uh, at the beginning of 8th edition, when everybody had kind of fallen out with the 7th, was kind of a, a very nice renaissance era for things that weren't 40k. A lot of people were playing a lot of different games. My hobby shop went very heavily to World War II era historicals and War Machine, which was very nice for me because I'm like a World War II spurg. But uh, now that 8th edition has dropped, people have gone way back to 40k, and it's kind of frustrating. You can't get a good game anymore. But yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, I remember 8th edition was kind of fell right on the heels of 7th. It was like 7th. It seemed like it had been out for two weeks, and they're like, ah, oh, we're doing 8th edition now. Well, that's because 7th was just 6.5. Yeah. Which yeah, six well, was very bad. Like, if you want to talk about Codex Flavor of the Month, six was the absolute like bottom of that. Like, it was horrid. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember some of the stuff that used to happen over the years. Uh, it's kind of funny. My, I've been playing Black Templars for so long, and at one point they had a, a special rule that basically nerfed all the Dark Lance and Lance style weapons. So against, I think it was Dark Eldar. If you had like a Land Raider Crusader, it was just literally indestructible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, so, just kind of moving away from the rule sets, I guess. Uh, I, 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 will, I, will, I will say this as, a, as an aside. I do think that uh, if you're listening to this, once we all get sent to the FEMA camps, uh, 2024, once Kamala Harris or whoever gets, pres- gets to become president, just make sure you bring your models. We can start up a, a little league there. I don't know how. We'll oh yeah, them, yeah. But yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll all play D and D in the FEMA camps. I already, I already told everybody we'll do that. But if we can get our 40k armies in there. We'll play. We can even play with rocks. But um, yeah, no. But on a, on another note, what is your uh, what is your fit? Yeah, that's a very nice dreadnought you've got there. I think it's the last Templar thing I did. Like yeah, yeah, this, something like that. Yeah, you posted it on Twitter. You were watching. Um, uh, you, you always seem to be rewatching or watching One Punch Man. Uh, you were watching one. I think rewatching One Punch Man when you painted that one on Twitter, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that sounds like I can remember all of these. Things. That sounds like something I would do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this uh, this is another question. I'm sure everyone is either dying to ask or wants to know. Who is your favorite 40k character, and for what reason? Favorite 40k character. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Hmm. 
I guess who, I do, mean, you, who do you find the most evocative or interesting? I, th- I think the Dark Eldar Archons. I've always kind of liked them. I like their aesthetic. I'm actually really a fan of Dark Eldar as far as just the aesthetics go. I think it's some of the, the most beautiful models that GW's ever created. It's just a shame that they're so impractical. Um, in terms of the actual characters, uh, if I was going to pick like a named character, I'd probably say like Inquisitor Eisenhorn. Yeah, yeah. Just because like that... Yeah, yeah, Dan Abnett wrote that series, and it was just, compared to every, everything else in the 40K literature, it was good stuff. Yeah, because, like, rest is pretty much Pulp Fiction, like sci-fi Pulp Fiction, but the, the Dan Abnett stories were always uh, several cuts above the rest. I'd say Abnett's probably one of the best sci-fi writers ever. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan, big fan of Abnett. Yeah, I mean, I think he's fallen kind of short in his later stuff. More recent works he's released have been... I, f- I feel like he's more dialing it in now, but like the, the yeah. original run of Gaunt's Ghosts, I, I don't think you're ever really going to beat that. I do like old Karn here. I always kind of like Karn. And his new model is fantastic. Great, great piece. It's very dynamic. Um, the proportions are good. I'm really hoping that we get new Berserkers. Because they haven't had an upgrade in, uh, hell, 15 years now, 20 years, something like that. It's been forever. If we get... Go ahead. Do do what? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, if we get Berserkers, I'm buying them, and I'll probably have more corn stuff and look into Chaos again. You really need to post more pictures of what you paint on Twitter, in my opinion. (laughs) I probably should, because I've got a really good selection of stuff here, and... My Templar stuff is probably some of my best. The Templar and the Tyranids. I mean, we all like looking at it, or at least I do. So, I mean, there's certainly a demand for it. Yeah, and I, I spent a lot of time on these models. Uh, uh, I guess the last thing I was going to mention about the painting was I, I do hit them with, like, a matte clear. I don't use GW stuff. I use Army Painter or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, you don't want to use Purity Seal on your models. It, uh, it doesn't really work. <laughs> a lot of the GW stuff is hit or miss when it's uh, not the direct paints. Those are, yeah. the effect paints. I forget when they released them. Was it like four or five years ago? They made a dries on wet blood paint, and I. Uh, it was called Blood for the Blood God. It was this like reddish fluid that you would put on things, and it would dry on with like a uh, sort of varnished look to it to look like red blood on something, and it was just absolutely amazing. I vaguely remember this. Um, their glazes they have out are pretty good. They basically are marketing a product now that is something that people used to have to make by themselves, like in their studios years ago. Um, but yeah, their red glaze works pretty freaking good. The Blood for the Blood God is, is one of my favorite products they've ever produced. Um, and I considered buying two Creed models. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I liked that one a lot. I mean, GW's evolved in a lot of good ways. Like, their models are probably some of the best things in, I guess, miniature wargaming. They've they've come a long way. They've made some missteps, like Finecast and the rampant overpricing. But in general, their products are pretty good. Yeah, I I would say... I, I don't think my complaint, or anybody's complaint, would really be about the quality, honestly. I mean, I think some of their recent sculpts, the Guileman... Uh, the recent Guileman stands out to me as being exceptionally over-designed. Uh, yeah. It's a little noisy on the eyes. 
Um, but I complain about that thing all the time. But really, I think it's the price and the and the sort of game that gets to people. They've done some stuff I'm not a fan of conceptually. Like I don't like the Chad Marines. I, I like the aesthetic, but the whole like background is so so much of a short jump. I'm just not not into it. Very ham fisted. Yeah, it's like oh, they're space Marines, but they're special space Marines. They're better space super super. Space Marines. If you just wanted to make bigger Space Marines, you could have just said, here are the bigger Space Marines. You can use them in place of regular Space Marines if you want. You know? Yeah, you could have just, like, made them larger. I don't really see why we have to keep making all of these figures bigger and bigger and bigger every time they have, like, a new addition. That's another thing that gets on my nerves. Like, this constant size creep. There, I, I mean, think- I guess... They're, they're letting the uh, the Reddit threads about the the actual scale of the game versus the scale of the miniatures get to them. <laughs> they did. The I, well, they did. They committed the cardinal sin. They listened to the Spurks. Yeah. At this point, I mean, in a few years, I'll have like a full size Space Marine. I'll be painting. Like this is getting ridiculous. I, I mean, I've, I've got Karn here, and he's like on a Terminator base. Which I mean, he's he's an HQ. That's I guess okay, but still. Given the way he's posed, I can see it, because he's got, like, a top-down, very big area he's got to cover, too, you know? Yeah, and then GW's like, oh, well, these larger bases, now you won't you won't have to replace this on your stuff. And it's like, yeah, but you've gone to this, even on the smaller Marines now have, uh, what is this new new size base, 30 millimeter or something like that? It is ridiculous, yes. Yeah, and they, they do this, I've been playing this game forever, and they've been doing this for so long, like... Every couple years, the bases get bigger and the models get a little bit bigger, and it really ruins the the look of your collection if you've been doing it for a long time. Like I went through that whole deal where you took your old Terminators and rebased them so everything would look right. Yeah, I I've always been of the opinion though that when you walk into a GW store, there should be like a big PVC Space Marine, like a cigar Indian, holding pots of paint. That's going to be the new Space Marine that you can buy. <laughs> Not the Space Marine Funko Pop. No. Is that your so? entire your entire army will be that size? You're not. You're gonna have like six foot tall Marines, not the Space. Marine. I thought they would have gone for the Funko Pops, honestly. <laughs> I, uh, I'm glad they stayed away from that. Uh, no, they're doing it now, actually. Oh damn it! <laughs> that was like the news this week was uh, 40 Ks getting Funko Pops. <laughs> We're getting a Chad right. Green, a Blood Angel, a Dark Angel, and a Space Wolf. Oh great! Yeah, That's, that stuff is such trash. It is. It really is. Uh, they could have. They could have. They they had it. The world's choice of any sort of vinyl figure they could have sold. They could have just sold Space Marine action figures, but they had to go for that, of all things. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Forty K is, I guess, uh, something I've not been playing a lot recently. I. I've gone through phases with this. Uh, when I lived in areas that were more urban and had more hobby centers, I would be more serious about going to tournaments and stuff. I may pick that up again at some point. It's just you know being so busy and the amount of time commitment it takes to like actually get all your stuff and transport it over to a shop and then sign up for some tournament where you stand around a bunch of sweaty, weird people and uh, unsavory individuals for like four hours. <laughs> it's a 40K tournament tournament better or worse than uh, being told that someone else has the floor, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> Is it better or worse? 
I think it's better than a Magic the Gathering tournament, at least from what I've seen from Agreed. a safe distance. Uh, having been to Magic the Gathering events and having been to 40k events, but not having participated in either, I would say I'd rather go to a 40k event. Yeah, and I'm not saying that there's like a huge difference here, but the Magic the Gathering stuff seems to attract a very specific demographic. It's a demographic s- that doesn't believe in deodorant. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say that the Magic the get Card gamers are kind of the redheaded stepchild of, of the people that sort of participate in games, you know. People that are really big into board games like stay home and hang out with their families. Miniature war gamers were a little bit weirder. We go to stores, but like card gamers. Only time I've ever seen uh, somebody unironically pl- wearing a My Little Pony t-shirt in real life was at a Magic the Gathering <laughs> event. Yeah. It was struggling, man. It was it was struggling to kind of hold him in, too. I felt sorry for that uh, that Rainbow Dash t-shirt. <laughs> Yeah, well, the other weird thing is hobby shops have been where I've seen transgender individuals the most often in my life, for uh, whatever reason. It's a fringe hobby. It, 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 sort of, it, it sort of attracts fringe people, I guess you could say. Um, I, I, don't, I mean, I've never seen that myself, although I, I can't go into... If you go into the details of your specific hobby shop, every hobby shop is weird, and it's weird in a unique way, so you're going to end up doxing yourself if you go into details about it, but... I have met some interesting people at my hobby shop. You see a lot of college students. College students seem to be very common in hobby shops. Uh, yeah, yeah, they are. You do, you see a lot of those people. You also see a lot of young people making very poor decisions, and some of them making good decisions, but a lot of them making very poor. Yeah, like buying that army off of eBay. Yeah. If you're if you're willing to put the work in, I don't think buying an army off of eBay. If you're like willing to refreeze the miniatures to try to crack the paint off and like spend hours <laughs> upon hours getting the paint off of them so you can repaint them, it it can be worth it. But it it depends on the to- amount of time you're willing to put into it. So you've been seeing that there's like a lot more of the World War II gaming going on because I noticed that myself at the local shops. Is that seems to be getting more and more popular? Yeah, I am a historical guy myself. Primarily, anybody who frequently listens to my program, Little Wars, know that. And I'm I'm pretty vocal about that and how much I like it. But yeah, I've uh, I, I that ha- it goes in waves. When 40k, it, it kind of it goes in inverse of 40k. When 40k does poorly, uh, other games do well, and when 40k does well, other games do poorly. So there was a lot of bolt action and uh, flames of war pickup in my shop as uh, 40k kind of was waning in seventh edition, and uh, I uh, glommed onto flames of war. I picked up British, then Germans, then Americans, and never looked back. Of course, most historical wargamers would say like Bolt Action and Flames of War are more like the 40k of historical wargamings, but you know they're they're very different. But yeah, yeah, that has it has been picking up recently, I think. So are these rule sets basically kind of fast playing, uh, or is it more detailed than 40k? Uh, it depends on the game. Uh, if you were to play Advanced Squad Leader, which is what Vox Day plays, uh, you're basically like saying I basically give up my chances at having any hobby i can choose to have a religion a job and this that's it uh it's so in depth (laughs) like i can go to church on sundays and i can do a job and then everything else that i don't devote to my family is devoted to advanced squad leader it's more like a way of life it's very in depth but you got stuff like bolt action was actually designed by one of the early 40k guys who kind of left gw and he wrote it up himself so it's actually plays pretty similarly it's just a little bit different the, yeah. The primary difference being uh, every the basic rifleman, apart from a rating of skill, is the same across every army. 
So like every guy wields a bolt action rifle. And uh, so like a German grenadier, uh, a, a trained German grenadier, apart from like his national special rules, which are very minor, is the exact same as a trained Russian, a trained Brit, and a trained American. So it gives the game kind of uniformity and scale. And then the other thing about it is it's not an I-go-you-go turn-based. You draw a dice, and whoever, if you draw the, the right dice, if you draw your dice, you get to choose a platoon and then move it for that turn, and then your opponent can draw a dice, and if it's their dice, if not, it goes to you again. And then once you, and you, you can only do an action with each of your platoons per turn. I don't play bolt action, but it's a very interesting game. Uh, that kind of reminds me about Battletech. You basically, uh, everybody did everything simultaneously, pretty much. Like, you'd have an initiative order, but you you got to move your unit, they moved their unit. You could, you could in theory, both kill each other at once. <laughs> in fact, I remember one of the, the popular house rules was something along the lines of, like, Gunslinger, where they would use the initiative to prevent that from happening. But in the core mechanics, it was entirely possible for two players to shoot each other's cockpits out at the same phase. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, Battletech was another one of those games that it, it had a beautiful set of mechanics. It was extremely detailed, and it took forever to play. Like, you, a one-on-one mech duel could take a good 30 minutes to an hour. Bolt action does not have that problem, fortunately. It plays pretty quickly if you know what you're doing. It's yeah, so so does... um. Uh, the Privateer Press game, uh, oh crap, War Machine. War Machine, yeah, War Machine and Hordes. They they play fast, but interestingly, like the rule set is pretty detailed. It uses a two D six system, and it uses various uh, cards and abilities and things. Like the detail levels is there. It's just the scale is smaller. It's a skirmish level game, and the the core mechanics revolving around killing warcasters means that simple mistakes can get you comboed and destroyed within a couple turns. Or one turn, really. Yeah, I've, I've, every time I picked up one of those rule books, though, I've read that, like, screed at the beginning about, like, play like you have a pair, and it's got, like, this uh, 30-year-old boomer-type aesthetic going on with it. And they I, uh, took that out. They had to take that out due to pressure from the social justice lobby. Yeah, I, I did hear, <laughs> but that actually was a turnoff for me, because I was like... Because the guys that played War Machine were always kind of the, the worst people at the store, in my opinion. No offense, but they, they they tended to take themselves way too seriously, and we're like, I've never seen anybody play it in a store. <laughs> oh, you've never seen? Yeah, we had, a, no. we had a war machine community, as it were. No, I've all, I've only ever played it at somebody's house. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see that. I, I would say playing it with somebody else in private is actually probably the better experience because I used to play like Flames of War. Most of my playing experience actually against a buddy who was playing a Russian army. For like about a year, we were together, and uh, we would just set up in the living room and just uh, hash out games over an afternoon. I think most of my 40k experience has been actually playing, or well, time spent playing, and it's been with a buddy of mine at work in EMS. We would play games while we were waiting to take calls. That could get kind of frustrating, though. It's like, hey, I don't have time to go to this heart attack. I'm trying to finish killing the squad, right? <laughs> Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Ah, oh, man, I got to fire defensive fires. Uh, something out yeah. there that needs taken care got, of. Yeah, it's like I got to finish this phase, and then we'll go. Nah, unfortunately, you don't know. It's I, like I am, they, they can wait. I've, I've had uh, I've had very personal experiences recently. It's made me very grateful for uh, EMS 
uh, as, a, as an institution. I'm not going to go into too many details because I can't, but uh, I am, I'm supremely grateful for the service you all do. Oh, it's good to hear that. It's yeah. a thankless it's a thankless job and you get called racist if you do it long enough. <laughs> uh, no, I, it was it's very good. I, I I have a I've quite a bit to be thankful for in that regard. So I can't thank the guys who did it to their faces cuz I don't know who they are or where they're at, but I can thank you in their stead. But um oh, well, I'm sure that they appreciate it. Yeah. Ever meet them I'll buy them a beer. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think so. What do you think about the game where it's headed? Like, have you? How do you think of Eighth Edition turning into like Gundam, where you you buy your your big Gundam and then you got like twenty dudes on foot and the Gundams fight each other out? I mean, because that's generally what it's looked like to me from a distance. Is you've got these knights. Everybody. I haven't. Them. Yeah, I haven't kept up enough with Eighth Edition to be honest. I did not play the crap out of it like I've done previous editions. Like I think it was Fifth Edition. I played constantly and did a bunch of tournaments. Uh, Eighth edition, I played it enough to sort of get a grasp for the rule set and the mechanics. I haven't been to shops to see the the meta there, but I kept up with it on the online community, and it sounds like you're right. Like It looks like the Imperial Knight stuff is sort of crucial here, and there's been some complaining about it becoming a very static meta and all being about very simple mechanics that people abuse. I don't know how much truth there is to that. I expect that GW will do what they've always done, and they'll they'll release another rule set that tries to address problems from the previous rule set, but then introduces a whole lot of new issues, and the cycle of life will continue. Warhammer has always sort of suffered from balance issues. I don't know why GW just... I think part of it is that the basic unit from every army is so disparate. So... I think if they did more like other game developers and if you had a new rule set come out that was designed a little bit better, because honestly their their game designs are not the best in the world. It's not the rules tend to suck. It's not really written very well. Core mechanics tend to have problems. If they if they kind of clean that up a little bit and then release like all of your main core units and army stuff together at once and play test all that and then gradually add one unit at a time instead of doing codexes. Like, release a unit, add rules with that unit as it hits the shelves, have it on the card or whatever in the box. Lots of other game systems do that. If you release something that's broken, then you can just go back and edit that one unit as opposed to having an entire codex that is screwed up. Yeah, I mean, one thing I've seen with historicals, uh, with World War II in particular, is they'll, they'll like have a very basic release where it's like, okay, this is a generic arm, like order of battle for, like I don't know, just generally speaking, 1940 to 4 to 45, and then they'll say, if you want to play in Berlin in 45, though, we'll add these, these couple of units here, this unit here, here's some Hitler Youth with Panzerfaust for you to play around with if you're Germans, and then, like, you know, those are the specific things, and you can use this different, slightly altered order of battle or all that. So you can... I I don't know. Uh, historicals kind of have an advantage in that, but a lot of other games do seem to roll out units a lot more slowly. I don't really... I don't have many, a lot of experience with a whole lot of things, but is GW really the... I think they're the only one that does the army books kind of thing. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that they're, they're the only ones. It just creates so many balance issues, and I feel like none of this stuff is ever really balanced that well to begin with. <laughs> no, I well, I my my critique of the Warhammer rule set has always kind of been uh, that 
a space marine and like an Eldar, a Tau, and a human, like a, a guardsman, are all going to be so desperate. It's very difficult for the basic units of any single faction to be very close to each other, so it's very difficult to gradate and gradient out the balance of everything. Um, whereas with a lot of other games where everything's sort of baseline humans or baseline robots, uh, you can kind of have things that are more similar at the beginning and then fan outward from there. So you end up with a better sort of comparative point at the center there. I think if you had a more streamlined and uh, better organized core mechanic, it seems like you'd be able to calculate your points cost based on the various attributes and abilities regardless of what the model is maybe to an extent, but I don't know. It's like that's kind of lacking with GW, and then I feel like the playtesting seems to be really hit or miss, and then this whole army book release thing that creates the flavor of the month problem and screws with the meta so bad, because it's like you'll you'll get an army book or something that has dozens of special rules, and you know that they haven't really checked to see how all these interactions work, and then someone cracks it, and they're like, ah, oh, yeah, well, you want to you use this unit from this other list, and then you want to use this rule, and check this out. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't even be a problem if GW used its own communities to playtest their game if they actually like released an edition that worked after they used the. <laughs> yeah. Well, this other thing is like the the whole edition thing. It's like, why not nail down the core mechanic? Like, you should have a core mechanic nailed down pretty good by now. Uh, like, I know that the War Machine stuff they've released new editions over the years, but. The core system is still pretty familiar, whereas 40K, it's like they're constantly upending it, trying new things. I remember that close combat versus shooting was always like a big thing in this game, and it swung back and forth so many times over the years of like close combat being ridiculously overpowered, and then shooting becoming a little stronger, and then at one point they had vehicles were completely broken. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That was 5th, wasn't it? Or 4th? I think it was 5th. No, no, 5th was the parking lot edition. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, because essentially the way it would work is if you got shot, you would roll on that table, and there was a good chance that nothing at all would happen to your vehicle. The damage just evaporate and go away. And in later editions, they were like, all right, well, let's let's get around that. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll give these things hit points, so to speak, and make it so that when you take damage, you actually take damage. But yet again, their their habit seems to be they'll have a problem with the, the core system, and they will ridiculously overcompensate in the next edition, and spend like years swinging back and forth before they get even close to like happy medium. And by the time they do that, they've introduced like a whole bunch of other problems. Yeah, I remember some old hats in sixth edition back when it was getting really crazy. They're like, well, at least in fifth edition, armies looked like armies. Like you had a a, a series of dudes and squads, and they had uh, they had APCs and stuff, so it looked like the real army. Now it's just like super friends and like anti-hero <laughs> battle squad. <laughs> but now it's it's just kind of become like a platoon of dudes and and their Gundam. It's forty k has gone all over the place. I think my fifth edition Templar army was like last cannons everywhere, and then like a couple. Of Terminator units that were Death Stars or something like that. But I remember the having the, the anti-tank stuff was like what made or, or broke your army. Yeah. Sixth edition, it was like, I think it was Plasma back then. Plasma spam was the thing to do. or some, There were Death Stars. That was the other thing. Is you had these really unbeatable units because of the ally system. Cause it, yeah. Because it was all about forging a narrative. You remember that tagline in the rule? Oh, God. Yeah, forging... <laughs> 
Forge they're, they're so wild about that. They do that in like Kill Team. It's like here we'll gen- help you generate a backstory. You can roll a dice and pick this backstory from this table. It's like if I want to create a backstory, I'm pretty sure I can come up with something out of my imagination here. Probably like, better too. Yeah, it's forging a narrative. <laughs> the forging a narrative was basically, uh, in my opinion, was like, hey, we had Rogue Trader. That was like basically an RPG campaign thing. People liked it. You know what we need to do? We need to do Rogue Trader again. <laughs> they tried. It. I mean, I. It didn't work. I, pl- I played a lot of the Dawn of War series, and I actually like the RPG elements they introduced in that computer game. I would love to see that translate over to, to the tabletop. They have kind of done that with uh, Kill Team. So one of the reasons I like it is you could set up those narrative-style games and have a campaign where characters get stronger and get new abilities and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I feel like it could be fleshed out better than what they're currently doing, but still, Kill Team seems to have a, at least a decent start on a core mechanic for doing that yeah yeah i mean i'm not opposed to quote-unquote forging a narrative but sixth was just awful because i think the main problem with six was they're like we're gonna forge a narrative and everybody's gonna have allies but they didn't actually think that through i didn't i never understood the ally system in that game in sixth edition it seemed like it was such a mess it was uh i mean some of it makes sense it makes sense why you would be able to deploy a detachment of space marines next to some guardsmen. Okay. But then you can deploy Tau with the same level of friendship to the space marines as the space marines would have with guards. No, no, no. I don't I don't like that. It's it, it, this game universe should keep these factions separate. That should be part of the appeal is like I play this faction. I don't just like cherry pick to create the most broken list possible. <laughs> well, I can see why you would say like I would have like a the way it was initially envisioned, where you had a detachment of dudes, and then you had a smaller detachment of other guys from something else that would, like, help them out, you know? That made sense, yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me, where, like, you could have, like, a, I don't know, a company of Imperial Guardsmen, and then there'll be, like, a couple of squads of Sisters of Battle and a Cannonist on the side, you know? Maybe with, like, one of their tanks. That That's yeah. fine to me, right? Uh, there was this great image released at the end of 6th edition that somebody made where they had actually gone through and redone the original force organization chart with every amendation with all the supplements for like super heavies, forts, and all this stuff, and like the formations and stuff they'd released. And it had basically like, it was 12 times the size. It was insane. I remember st- how bad that was. Are they still doing like the the terrain pieces you can buy, like the forts that have like guns and stuff on them? Because yeah, I remember that yeah. was the thing that they were trying to do. Is like you would buy like these emplacements, and that was like something that your list had to have, like some sort of. Oh, that's right. The the aircraft rules when they introduced that. Yeah, yeah, because you had to have your anti aircraft batteries. Yep. Yeah, I, re- I remember this. Because uh, were broken. To deal with uh, yeah. deal with aircraft. Yeah, wow, what a, what a terrible design that was. I remember when that hit, and Helldrakes were, like, ridiculously OP. Oh, and the Vendetta gunship. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, what, why did you guys not plan out how this system was going to work? Like, you've got units flying around that you literally can't shoot at? <laughs> nobody, nobody thought about that. That wasn't really well thought out. Yeah. Sixth edition was probably the least thought out thing in miniature wargaming history. Yeah, I feel like 8th edition has more work behind it. It it plays pretty good from what I saw of it. It seems to be a lot and, more fan servicey, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, it's simplified too. It generally plays faster than some of the previous editions. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a here's another question. I have a theory I want to run by you about Games Workshop as a company. 
I, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to do this very mold bug style. My theory, my theory operates on mold bug logic where it's not intentional. It just sort of happens because that's the way it's organically going to work. And you kind of familiar with that, uh, that framing, you know, Yeah. with like the cathedral and all that. It is my personal opinion that GW has now find a found a niche where they can build, um, they can build fan satisfaction or fan, uh, I, fr I think the word would be good grace or, uh, people liking them over time and then they can uh and then they can strip mine it for a lot of profits very quickly like they did in sixth edition but then they have to go back and rebuild this sort of consumer trust and adulation so they're doing that with eighth and i think i think we may see in the future them strip mine for profits again like they did in sixth and seventh where you were seeing like a broken codex every month with new models that had to be acquired and all that stuff I'm not Dude, they, they've been strip mining since the company's been around, though. Like, just look at their paint inflation over time. Like, like GW paint prices are like a currency in Zimbabwe. <laughs> that is like, true. that stuff has exploded model prices. I remember back when they were like, oh, we're going to do uh, plastic and, and fine cast. It's cheaper than the pewter, and it was like twice as expensive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I'm a Vallejo guy. Is the GW paint's fine and all, but I would much rather use Vallejo because it's just cheaper. Pretty much any other game system imaginable has cheaper products for the most part. Yeah, I, I can build like three or four competitive Flames of War armies for the cost of a casual Warhammer army to take to a game store. Oh, yeah. It is it is absurd, um, and that's not even with it with going into uh, going into like buying like bootleg Russian models that are also the same tank but made by Russians. <laughs> yeah, just just look at the costs on like their. You can download digital versions of their rule books, and they're still ridiculously overpriced. I don't get that. Like a lot of a lot of companies do this thing now, where you don't have to download the rule book; you can buy army lists off the off the website and just build the army list and print it off. Uh, and you can pay by the list, and it still works out to be about cheaper than the rule book. But you can get what you want uh, very easily. It's, it works out to be very cheap, and I see a lot of people doing that now. I don't think Warhammer's uh, digital plan is are you familiar with x-wing um i was always kind of curious about it x-wing is the most soy war game i've ever encountered you don't paint or assemble the models which is rancid but it's got a very very casual rule set it's it's very simple runs on a hundred points base uh everything's pretty cheap it there are similar games to it uh World War One. There's one about World War One that springs to mind. Uh, Wings of Glory, I think it's called, or Paths of Glory, something like that. Uh, but the game itself is pretty simple to play, pretty simple to look at, and it doesn't really play too hard. The problem with X-Wing, though, is that they uh, they've been sort of setting a lot of bad trends with digitization, uh, where you can buy rule books online. Their their second edition has been entirely online. Which suits their rather casual player base. X-Wing is a, is a war game for people that don't have the space or time to paint models. And don't have the space or time to store models. It's very small. doesn't require a whole lot of intensity. The people right. that played it where I was at would play Star Wars music very loudly while they played it. Which nobody that's, told them to stop. And it was... You could that's, re that's reason to ban them from the store, if you ask me. Uh, well... I'd be like, get out. Sorry. Can't have you here. X-Wing stuff sells like... It sells like crack cocaine. It's like the I'm urbanite hobby. It's awful. I'm pretty sure that they're buying it and then just not even doing anything with it, just collecting it. I, I wouldn't be surprised, It, but it, it, it disturbs me greatly. Uh, yeah. 
Do you think they'll ever release uh, pre-painted and pre, uh, pre-assembled miniatures for Warhammer? Uh, man, I would put it past GW, but I kind of doubt it, because I feel like that ship has already like come and gone. I remember this used to be the Rage. They did it with Battletech at one point. Like That, that franchise has been bought and sold so many times, but I feel like that was a thing that was popular a few years ago, and now... It's not really gone that far. I mean, X-Wing's the only thing I can think of today that still has that model. Uh, actually, Dungeons & Dragons does it, too, and that's an enormously popular game with uh, the normie Reddit crowd. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people that are sort of influxing in for the sort of geek, quote-unquote geek cred, you know, to be like the people they see on the Big Bang Theory or whatever. A lot of NPCs playing PCs in RPGs. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't put it past GW just because it's GW. Who knows what they're going to do? GW. Yeah. I mean, these guys are capable of anything. It's kind of funny that they're still maintaining a profitable business model despite some of their practices, like uh, their crusade against online retailers, weird stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, man, trying to order a new GW model is such a pain. You pretty much need to, like, build a boat and then sail to England to get one. I heard a theory once that it was just revenge for the American Revolution from the crown. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, Reginald, we'll get him back. We'll sell him these plastic figurines, but we'll do it in the most obnoxious way possible. <laughs> it is obnoxious. It's like, why can't you just sell this stuff to other retailers and they resell it? Like, any other company in, in, in existence. I don't like, know. Why do you have, it's like, why do you have to do this nonsense with the, the brick-and-the-mortar store that has like the proper GW seal where the store owner gets it like tattooed across their face. Like some of their business models have just been insane, but somehow they still keep making money. Uh, they're still in business. I think like you were saying, a lot of that is just, they have a pretty dedicated following and they've also been just so far steer clear of some of the stupid social justice stuff too. But I think it's more, it's more a product of their universe itself is kind of hard to, hammer that into it, it it just wouldn't really fit 40k will eventually fall and i think it's going to fall first because we're seeing a lot of into traditional gaming itself we're seeing a lot of sort of chaff flowing in uh through a lot of avenues like critical role but a lot of them are stopping in places like warhammer 40k and dungeons and dragons and not really going any deeper in I, a lot of these people aren't people that are going to be playing BattleTech. they're not people that are going to go play war machine some of them probably will, but they're, they're going to stop there. So that's why I think they will eventually get pre-painted models, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's GW. Who knows? They're, they would probably sell pre-painted stuff and then charge you an arm and a leg for it. It would be like the most expensive pre-painted models in existence. But they're selling this to the people that would buy Funko Pops. It's yeah, still pay for it. It's true. I mean, that's true. I think Whatever they do, it will succeed just because it's GW doing it, and somehow they have still managed to turn a profit after all these years, despite some really bizarre practices and some very questionable business moves. <laughs> well, some of their practices are more geared towards England because it's an English company. Like the brick and mortar GW store is aimed at a very English British or a British English model for selling things because you would have it on the corner or on the street somewhere, and somebody just kind of walk in. You want a guy, they can sell it to them. And you would want any, any number of those in any number of towns so people could walk into them and such, rather than uh, the American model where you would want to buy things over the Internet and such because of the distances, because things are more yeah. compressed in Europe. It's a very European model of doing business. 
doesn't make sense to Americans, though, and doesn't make sense in an American or international context. No, it doesn't. Because I mean, if you're if you're sending this stuff overseas, then you're you need to adapt your your program to whatever it is that they do over there. But yeah, I don't know. I, I've and I've seen some 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 trends I think are kind of worrying the GW. Like we talked about the Chad Marine thing, I believe was a little bit of a short jump, and then of course bringing back all these Primarchs. They got the like, kids. Yeah, it's kind of like what are you guys doing? to this franchise <laughs> the longest uh there was a very plebate sentiment a while back i think two or three years ago where people were complaining constantly they're not advancing the setting they're not advancing the setting as if the point of a setting is to be advanced and i think we're seeing the consequences of that right now what's to advance like it's 40k it's uh the grim dark future where everything is garbage and demons are running around and the only way to survive is to be part of a fascistic uh, dictatorship that practices eugenics. Wait, so you're saying it's like real life? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, and plus, with with that storyline, how do you really advance it? Uh, I, I guess you could do what they're doing now with the Primarchs returning and stuff, but if this builds towards some sort of final conflict, so does the Emperor ascend into the warp and become the fifth chaos power, the good power or whatever. Like Didn't they already this... have the fifth chaos power like that they don't like to talk about, so Ah uh, yeah they do. They do. But uh, or they, he goes into the warp and then absorbs or does something to the other chaos deities. I can't remember how this works. I just know that if his soul leaves his body then that's pretty much the end of everything. So the the story is not really designed to be advanced. Like what can you really do with it? You don't need to advance Warhammer. It's it's a sandbox filled with diarrhea and like brimstone. Like that's the point yeah, of it. Exactly. It's it's supposed to be this rancid mess that you play around in for fun. Yeah, you're just supposed to be putting your army together and have any number of reasons for armies to be fighting each other. And the the other thing about it is you're supposed to look at it and say, "Well, gee, it sure is great that my life isn't this bad." And then you look up in the mirror <laughs> and go, "Oh, wait." <laughs> Yeah, right. Like all the all the imperial scenery that you buy is always like some ruined hellscape. And then you and then you go to then you go to like you know visit your relatives in Michigan. You drive down the eight mile and you're like, oh, oh wait. <laughs> yeah. Gazkol Magurik yeah. Thraka already went through here. Oof, oof. Yeah, and you're like, no, those those ruined imperial buildings they actually had some decent architecture at least. <laughs> yeah. Um. It looked pretty good. Well, there are a lot of very nice townhouses that are fallen into ruins now. 40K should introduce the ruined Imperial townhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Section 8 Orc housing. Yeah, the broken Walmarts. That would be pretty cool. Broken 40K Walmart. The broken, like, what, Soylent Factory or something? I don't know. We didn't make it grimdark. Uh, Walmart is pretty grimdark, though, when you think about it. Um, I would call it extremely grimdark. If you go in there, I mean, I've seen actual orcs in that store. <laughs> I'd agree, yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I mean, of course, around where I live, I, I, you, you can talk to anybody. You'd be like, I'm going to Walmart. They're like, which one? The, na- the name? I'm like, I'm going to the good Walmart. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody yeah. knows oh, what yeah. you mean. Everybody knows what you yeah. mean. Yeah, there's a hierarchy of these kinds of stores. I know. You, and, you know, the other thing about 40K, too, is the, the actual stuff in this game is ridiculous and doesn't even make sense. Like, n- nothing in there makes any actual real-world sense. Like, bolters, uh, dreadnoughts, none of this stuff. Uh, Space brains running around. 
Being a Spurg, there's a lot of it that makes sense because we the, there's been a lot of efforts from Spurg Academia to try to force 40k to make sense. Remember back in the game, chain swords, man, chain era where you would, where people were arguing about the best way to how bolters could. Here's how bol- it was like. Here's how Bernie could actually win, but it was like here's how bolters can actually work. Or I mean, it's based on a real work. design. Like the bolter is based on uh, what is the the gyrojet or whatever. Like it has some action. Yeah, yeah, but of course, this is never reflected in the actual like. Uh, game illustrations or anything like they're always uh, seen as like some sort of primitive projectile weapon nobody nobody who writes for 40k other than dan amnet has any idea about how fighting works yeah and abnet was the only person who really kind of had a good grasp of it and i don't know how he did i i don't know there must be something in that dude's past or somebody knew was consulting with his gaunt's ghost reads pretty decent in comparison to a lot of other military fiction. Yeah. Uh, I, but most everybody else has no idea what's going on. My One of my other big problems is, like, as a professional Spurg, uh, 40K's sense of scale really bothers me, where you have, like, these regimental levels of units, where you would actually be organizing on that scale in terms of armies composed of, like, 10 to 15 divisions at the least. A division being composed of three to four regiments at the least, and then each of these regiments would be specialized as they are in 40k. But you'd you'd have like a, a tank regiment full of tanks, and then maybe some mechanized infantry. Then you have a mechanized infantry regiment in support. You'd then form an armor, so on and so forth. But the way it's organized is always just sort of where the basic level of organization for the Imperial Guard was like a thousand dudes in a regiment. Just like ah, it graded me, it frustrates me immensely. <laughs> Also, how weak mortars are in the game, because the mortar kills more infantrymen than any other thing on the battlefield. Yeah, well, they they took away the blast templates for some reason. I don't. I'll never understand that. I was like, was anybody really complaining about the blast templates? I don't remember this being like a source of any kind of argument or discussion or strife. Like, oh man, I really hate this flamer template. We, uh, why, why don't we do like a D three system instead, please? I actually own a D three. Did you make it just so that you could use that instead of a flamer template? I mean, like no, no, no. no. <laughs> Actually, it was it was when uh, Overwatch was the thing, and you rolled one D three hits for the flamer, uh, in sixth edition. I went out and bought one. And the way D three yeah. works is it's a it's like a tent, but it's tapered on the edges, and near each ridge of the tent, there's a number inscribed. So there's like one edge that's the one edge, and it's inscribed on the tapering. Interesting. Yeah, it's it, they're quite rare and quite weird. I bought mine for like a nickel, at some game store. I mean, I would have just kept the template system, and the template system was always fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, all right, I'm gonna hit you with this large ordnance, and then you whip out like this dinner plate thing. And your opponent's <laughs> like, oh crap! Uh, I hope in- I spread my infantry far enough. They introduced a uh, an 18 inch wide uh, Flames of War has square templates because uh, butterfly uh, artillery is shaped like a butterfly ish shape in the way it hits normally when you normalize for spread. In real life, I think is the reasoning they gave. But there's an, I think there's a, there's one that's just this obscene size where it's like actually the size of a small pizza box, and you lay that thing down, and even though the artillery that's shooting it is like kind of second-rate German rocket artillery, you're just like, I am the master of the battlefield, I am the god of war, and you shall fear me as I lay this thing down and cover your entire company of men on this objective. Yeah, well, and that was something that like added. Some depth to the older editions of 40k was that if you clumped all your guys together, 
there was a chance that somebody was going to drop some sort of blast template or flamer on them and kill the entire unit or do a ton of damage to them. So you were like encouraged to like think carefully about your model placement. And that's just not, not true in the new, newer editions. It doesn't seem to really matter a whole lot. In 6th edition, there was this cheese list where you took a ton of guard conscripts. And, uh, you know, flyers had to end their, their movement where they could place their base. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you could kill flyers just by occupying enough space. And you had so many guys, most, most enemy armies that were doing flyer spam couldn't produce enough shots to kill these, like, third-rate units. So you just plot them on half the board. It's just like, okay, you can't angle Ooh. yourself to where you could shoot anything in my army. You're going to lose by default. <laughs> Yeah, what a badly implemented mechanic that was. Oh, jeez. Thinking back on it, yeah, because I remember this. You had to, like, change your, your facing. You tra- there was a minimum distance you had to travel. So you're, like, doing, like, all of this, like, geometric theory in your head, trying to figure out which way to fly your stupid vehicles. <laughs> every, every game I've ever played, other than Warhammer, that has incorporated flying units has it come in, do what it does, and leave. And it might even stay for two turns and only fly in a straight line like it's on the bottom of its parabolic arc. Like that's that's action. how Aerotech was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Battletech, Aerotech did the same thing. It was like, you fly on, fly off, come back, do it again, and that just right, makes right. way more sense. I mean, Drop Zone Commander, a game where, like, literally half the game is, you know, drop zoning dudes in with, like, these drop ships, moving them around, doing all this stuff. The airplanes and drop ships come in, and then they leave. They come in, you shoot AA at them, they land, they drop the thing, they leave. They might even stay for two turns. They might even land and sit there all game, but they're not going to do anything. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just trying to incorporate that into a 40k battlefield, even a fairly large one, is just physically difficult, especially if you've got, like, lots of buildings and stuff. It just never really worked out. It was always awkward. I mean, smaller flyers, I guess, you could you could do something, but GW ain't going to do anything small, so. No, not anymore. I mean, even a 1-100 scale, like Flames of War, where, like, the, the aircraft can fit in the palm of your hand because they're, like, 1-144 scale it would still be really, really awkward and weird. Yeah. No. It, I just don't see that kind of a thing being viable. Yeah, it always looked weird in 40K, too, because it's like, why is this thing flying around in a square shape? Like, it's not really banking in a circle. It's kind of doing <laughs> this thing where it's making 90-degree turns and zooming around. Yeah, I, I never liked that. I didn't like the uh, the facing, the the... The other thing I really hated about 40k is that it would do this thing where it was, uh, hey, we're going to have these degrees of fire arcs where it was specific so you feel like you got to get out a protractor. Like I remember protracting out like firing arcs for 6th edition uh, for my vehicles for guard. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, the things, which they, I think, took that away in 8th edition. It's not really a thing anymore. Well, they had firing arcs, too. Like, if it was hull-mounted, you could shoot, like, only 30 degrees. Yeah, measuring from the weapons was a thing. Yes. <sighs> yeah, but, I mean, it added, like, some of the stuff with the facings, like, in the armor, added some depth. Like, if that you got good. flanked, I, I, yeah. I think the armor facings were good, but the, the angles of fire for all the hull-mounted and side-mounted and sponson-mounted weapons was very bad. Yeah, I mean, and then of course it gave you the opportunity for some some risky moves like uh, teleporting Terminators behind vehicles, trying to kill them with Meltas. Yes, those are and those are really where your fun, the most fun moments in the game come from, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like it's a high-risk thing. The, the termicide thing was always high-risk. You didn't know if it's going to work or not. Maybe you scatter. Maybe you don't land where you need to be. So it was always adding, like, an element of excitement to it. Pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I really just, uh, I think I think really the conclusion to our conversation today is really just fuck 6th edition. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there's been a lot of bad editions. Of yeah, and generally... Yeah, and a lot, a lot of 40k has had some some bad additions, and it was always some mechanic was broken, and it got abused, like vehicles and fifth being spammed excessively, stuff like that. Uh, the leaf blower lists that the Imperial Guard had at one point. There, there's oh, always yeah, been yeah. some sort of a, a, abusive thing that people could do, but I mean to be honest though, like for the casual player, it's not really that big of a deal. Usually, it's this is something that crops up more on the tournament level. If you and your friends can basically agree, we're not netlisting, we're not going to netlist our, our, our lists, we're all going to hang out together here, we're going to have some house rules, and things are going to be fun, I'd say there's not a problem with most games. Well, Especially even if you netlist, even if you netlist, like, if you don't know how to play the game, because back when I was serious about it, I learned pretty fast that if you do refuse flank, stuff like that, if you think strategically and use the right tactics... You can crush people with some lists that would be kind of surprising. Like I, I played Dark Eldor a lot in Fifth, and I had certain tactics I would use that would just wipe out enemy armies. But then I would play other players Dark Eldor, and the roles would be reversed, and I would have uh, Black Templars, and I would still be tabling them. And it's like, well, you just uh, you deploy and you make it look look like a normal layout where you got the two armies squaring off, lined up across the table. In turn one, you fly all your stuff to one side. You zoom up one half of the board and just obliterate that flank, and then sweep around behind them. Pretty much. And con- control like their shooting so that they can't just spray your army. You know, like move your units so that they lose line of sight and they can't actually get off all of their shots on your small and pathetic paper-thin armor on those Dark Eldar vehicles. Yes. All war games, and I, I will say this, everyone will say this, anyone with their salt will tell you this, all war games are one or lost in movement, just like all wars. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about movement, and your casual players just kind of line stuff up and charge at each other. So if you have a grasp of how to move your units and screen units and just position buildings between you and stuff you don't want to be shot at, you can really do a lot of damage with pretty much any kind of list. Like Regardless of how broken somebody else's list is, if they don't know what they're doing with it, they're going to get tabled. I mean, I really didn't get good at gaming until I started playing mechanized Germans with Flames of War, which really forced me to kind of think about... How am I moving my uh, my half-tracks? How am I moving my dudes? Where am I moving? I've got these very fragile trucks everything is in, so I've got to cover them. I've got a very limited amount of tanks, and it forced me to really think about that, and that's really when I started to get serious and good at games. So I, re- I will say, McNabb is right. Uh, this is tried-and-true uh, tactics. Like It will work for any game. If you can learn how to control your movement and figure that out, the rest of the game will fall in place. It's scary how often refused flank works. Like <laughs> most of your casual players have never seen this before. They'll look bewildered. I remember I was playing one time. Uh, it was like a, a six-player game. It was three on three, and I, I told my teammates like, "Hey, let's just employ on this side of the board over here. Let's just do that." And we did it, 
and completely annihilated the other side because they were expecting us to sort of be deployed all the way across this giant keyboard lined up, you know, like these these two opposing revolutionary war armies. Yes. But no, we just clustered on one side, crushed and tabled, like destroyed one army, like annihilated it, started chewing through the next army, and by the time they're, the other side finally got there, you know, we, we had completely won the game at that that stage. But yeah, this is stuff that like casual players don't really think about. I don't understand how important placement and movement and timing things actually is. I mean, you can still have some some bad turns of luck, but usually if you got your your model placement and your movement down, you're going to win more than you lose. If yeah, if you can if you can get movement down, you will you will it'll normalize every other factor. Uh, movement is the one skill that kind yeah. of affects wargaming and war in general. But here's one more thing I want to get your opinion on. One final question, because we're running up on like an hour ten here. This is the, the pivotal question, the, the most important question for any wargamer ever. How do you feel about square hills with 45 degree angled sides and bright green tops? Um, the player that places those on the table is beaten with that implement. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of 40k foam hills, as, as you might call them. I hate that stuff. Uh, I would rather just not have hills if we're going to do the thing that makes my beautifully painted models roll off the table. I just, uh, I hate it. You don't like the, the the hill that's basically a shoebox. You're not a big fan. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I've, and I've always hated foam scenery anyway. Like I've just never have liked it. I think it depends. Uh, if you're doing like a lava flow. Uh, foam can be good for that if you paint it black and then do it highlight it correctly, because then it'll actually look like dry, a dried lava flow. You know. Yeah. We we just have the technology to make this uh, those kinds of services work. It's better to have everything be flat, uh, maybe terraced or something like that. I don't know. I usually play on fairly flat tables that have lots of like buildings and stuff like that, because I have painted a lot of building type scenery over the years. So I try to make sure I've got. Plenty of stuff to throw throw down. I've always found that salt dough hills work really well if you're willing to put in the time to make them, because you can make a very gentle, nice slope on those. But uh, yeah. and I, I play at an entirely different scale than you, and I prefer more rural type games. So it really yeah, like nah, I can't do that because I've got models that are made by GW that are already having enough trouble standing up right as it is because they're spilling over the bases. So uh-huh. um, one other thing. Before we leave, you know you can put like a quarter in the bottom of there. You already. Oh know. yeah, no. I've. You should see my Tyranid sometime. Like I've got at least five hundred dollars oh. currency like stacked underneath it. Because I've got yeah. like the, I got the Hormigons where most of the model is off the base. Those like, they, were not well thought through. Yeah, it's a great looking model, but you have to you have to definitely use a lot of ballast. So yeah, I think that pretty much covers everything. Uh, I mean, if if any if there's anything we didn't cover, we can always just do a follow up. But yeah, I think that's uh, that's going to about cut it for today. So um, cool, cool, it's for, been yeah, fun. Th- thank you so much for being on here. It was, uh, it was an absolute blast. And uh, if you ever want back on, just reach out. Oh yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll talk again some. All right, sure, sure deal. Uh, we'll uh, talk later. And for all you listening, uh, just make sure you uh, have fun, happy gaming.
Yeah.